Welcome to this week's episode of the My Mysterious Bible Podcast, the podcast that focuses on the mysterious and downright weird parts of the Bible. My name is Michael Norton, and I will be your host. This week, we will be looking at the serpent in Genesis 3. I'm going to read from Genesis 3 in the ESV. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I'm going to be quoting now from my own book, The Divine Council Worldview, The Supernatural Worldview of the Bible, A Devotional Introduction. If you asked most Christians why the world is in the state that it is in, the fall of humanity in Eden would probably be their answer. That is only partly true, as we shall see in upcoming days. An ancient Israelite would have had answered that three separate rebellions were the cause of the state of the world. The fall in Eden is the first of the rebellions against God in both the natural and supernatural realms, because Eden is the intersection of the two. The serpent tempts Eve with the one thing that is denied to her, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve and then Adam take it upon themselves to decide what is good and evil by taking from the tree and trusting in the advice of the serpent over the words of God. The serpent is not a simple snake of the animal kingdom. The Hebrew word used here is nakash. As a noun, it means serpent. As a verb, it means to divine, a form of sorcery that is forbidden in the Bible. Divining is when supernatural knowledge is passed on outside of God's will. This is precisely what the serpent was doing when he spoke to Eve. He took supernatural knowledge and twisted it to deceive her. As an adjective, Nakash means the shining one, and this is how the ISV renders it. The Hebrew has a triple entendre that is completely lost in our English translations. This deception, along with Adam and Eve's disobedience, earn all parties involved exile 
from the Garden of Eden and separation from God's presence. It sent mankind and the rest of creation into a fallen state that we could not recover from by our own means. It did come with a promise, though. And I'm going to end quote there. And I'm going to go ahead and read the promise from Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And of course, that is a reference to Jesus. This is referred to in scholarship as the Proto-Euangelion. And that's just a fancy way of saying the first good news, or put yet another way, it's the first gospel. The fall in Eden is the first fracture in God's kingdom that will lead to others. Picture it, I guess, like a severe ding in a windshield that sends out cracks in every direction. I need to go back to the three meanings of Nakash for a moment, because I didn't want to break the quote at that time. The shining meaning is has a context, let me say it like that, of, of gleaming like burnished brass. So let me say that again. When the Nakash means shining, it means gleaming like burnished brass. This will be important. One commonly asked question is about the talking snake. It isn't until the book of Revelation that we learn that this serpent is the devil himself. In Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And I'm going to go ahead and read that, starting at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I ask kindly that you will indulge me as I give you some food for thought. Eve was not perplexed whatsoever by a talking serpent. It seems in the narrative as if this is business as usual. Why would this be so? There is no indication that talking animals were the norm in the garden. We do know that the guardians of sacred space, called cherubim, in the plural, as cherub in the singular, or that were present in the garden, these strange creatures have animal features and multiple faces and sets of wings. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 5 and following to get an idea of what these creatures are like. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face, the four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. Verse 13. 
As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Remember that one of the meanings of the term Nakash is to shine like polished brass. Also remember that burning coal reference. We find that the Nakash in Genesis 3 is one of these strange beings in Ezekiel 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your, was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So remember that burning stone language that we talked about earlier. We see it again here. Now I want you to think about the Ark of the Covenant being topped with cherubs with their wings touching. Modern depictions seem to use, always use angels on top of the Ark because the real description it would be so strange. The purpose of the cherubim is to guard sacred space. Sacred space is where God is present. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant resided is an example. And remember that the Ark of the Covenant had those two cherubs on top of it, and there were two more statues of cherubs within the Holy of Holies. The Garden of Eden is another example. In Genesis 3.24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away every way, that turned every way to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Now, at this point, we've got a pretty good idea of the, about these cherubim, of what they are, what their purpose is, but there is a subset of winged cherubim that is snake-like in appearance. I will be quoting from the Holman Bible Dictionary. Seraphim, literally the burning ones. Seraphim, a plural word, were winged serpents whose images decorated many of the thrones of the Egyptian pharaohs. In some cases, they wore the crowns of the Egyptian kingdom and were thought to act as guardians over the king. 
Isaiah envisioned the seraphim as agents of God who prepared him to proclaim the Lord's message to Judah. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Verse 7, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. End quote. In this passage, we see that these beings can speak and communicate with humans. What if Adam and Eve were not confused by a talking snake was because they had already encountered cherubim and seraphim in the Garden of Eden? Is it a logical possibility that the serpent that tempted them is one of these beings? Well, we already know that he's a cherub, but he's also called a nakash, a serpent. So wouldn't it make sense that he is one of the serpentine cherubs? When we look at the cultural context and dive into the Hebrew, it seems to me to be a valid possibility that makes quite a bit of sense. More sense than any of the other explanations that I have heard in the past. Therefore, I humbly present it to you for your own study, meditation, and prayer. And remember to test everything against the Word of God, no matter who says it, especially when I say it, because I need to be held accountable and hold fast to what is good. May God bless you and have a great week.